where we are together. We're going to be in Romans today. We're going to be in Romans today. <clears throat> so if you'll turn to Romans chapter 1, and uh, we're going to start <clears throat> in verse 15. And um, unlike Will, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to uh, stay on one small spot for a long time. Surprisingly, I am going to, you can pray for me in the middle of this, we're going to make it to the end of chapter 8. That's a surprising statement, I know. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, let's, uh, let's pray together. Our main focus will be uh, in Romans 1, actually kind of 16 and 17, but you'll see what I mean about making it to chapter 8. So let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll read and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for revealing your love to us through your Son, God, that you, you have given us the word of life, the gospel of good news, Lord, that there is life in you and that you offer to us freely as a gift because of what you have accomplished in Christ. Lord, we want to understand that. We want to walk in that. So teach us now. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> okay, so... To begin with, Romans 1, verse 15. Romans 1, verse 15. A couple of little contextual things. Paul is writing to the Roman church, which he has not actually been to, um, and he has a desire to go and see them, as he mentions in the first part of the chapter. And as he's saying this, what he, he comes to in verse 15 is that he has this desire for this purpose, too. He says, so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. So he has this great desire to share with them the gospel. When we say the word the gospel, we throw around that word a lot, particularly in these modern day cultures. So many words of the Christian faith have been co-opted into regular everyday language. So we kind of lose a sense of what it is that they actually mean when they're spoken of in this context. And so he's saying that he wants to share with them a piece of good news that has been revealed to him by the Lord in Christ, and he's got something that he wants to share with them. <clears throat> and he says, the reason that he wants to share it with them is because he is not ashamed of this gospel. He is not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for a particular purpose. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, the Jew first, also the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You know, this phrase, the just shall live by faith, right? It, it, it gives us the answer to a very interesting question, right? And I would say that the question is this, what, how, how, how now shall we live, right? How should we live in these days? How should we spend our time? What should we be focused on right now? Right, because so many things, particularly these days, um, with the advent of uh, information technology, there are so many things that we could spend our time doing, spend our time being focused upon. Right? How should we live? Should we live to please ourselves? Should we live to pursue the American dream? Should we live to fight the establishment? What should we be living to do? Right? How can we be living in this time? And Paul, 
he clarifies something about the reasoning why he's sharing the gospel because what we do in this time is what we should have always been doing in all times, what everyone who is just before the Lord should always be doing, living by faith, right? And what Paul is going to enlighten us here about as we take our journey through Romans is that it has always been that the just live by faith, right? It has never not been that way, not since the very, very beginning. It has always been that the just live by faith. But like the word gospel, this doesn't mean a lot to us. We're like the just live by faith. Cool. I'm not even sure what you're trying to say to me, Paul, right? Because there's a lot of words in there for which we have really poor understandings of in our uh, modern understanding and, and the way that we just kind of think about things apart from the Lord, right? For instance, he says the word just, and we have to ask ourselves, and he takes us on this journey, what does he mean by the just person, right? Because even in his day, they didn't have a good understanding of what was meant by the just person, right? And then what does he mean by faith, right? What does he mean by that they're going to live by their faith, right? And, and then finally, also, what does he even mean by live, right? Does he mean just like biologically, I'm just going to like continue and progress? Is, are, these, are these the terms that he's talking about? Because if we don't understand this phrase, we're not going to understand what it's calling us to, right? We're just going to make up things as we go along. So I want to take a journey to understand this phrase, which Paul breaks down for us by speaking to us the gospel for which we will put our faith in, right? He, he begins, and he wants to share the gospel. Remember, this is his, his goal to the Romans. He's going to share the gospel for the purpose of <coughs> bringing them to faith. So let me break down this first uh, phrase, this phrase here, before we take the journey. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So the word power is a pretty cool word, because it doesn't just mean like power, like you're power lifting and you're like becoming stronger, right? It means capability. It means like you have the ability to do something. So it's, it's more a matter of can you or can you not, not degrees of power, you know? And so what he is saying here is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that piece of information, right, that is what enables God to be able to save us. And this is highly important that we understand that because without the gospel, right, God is not able to save us. It is the gospel that declares to us and makes it known and reveals that there is a way for salvation to come about, right? And that God uses this, uses Christ. It is through Christ that all of salvation comes about. And without him, there is not a way. It is the way, as Jesus said, I am the way. There is not another power unto salvation, right? And so Paul says, listen, this piece of information, this good news that I'm going to tell you, I'm not ashamed of it. It doesn't let me down because it's the very thing that saves me, right? And so he, he's going to speak to us, what is it that saves us? And notice here, it's a piece of good news. And what is it that uh, enables it to save people? It says, the power of God's salvation for whom? All who believe. The Jew first, also the Greek. And it is written, 
For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith as it is written. The just shall live by faith. He's going to tell us a piece of information. He's going to reveal to us what God has revealed in Christ, right? In order that we might place our faith in it. Not so we can look at it and say, this is cool. This is cool information. But so that way we can say, this is something that is radically different. And I agree it is the only thing that will save me, right? My, my financial uh, uh, status will not save me. My, my popularity won't save me. My morality won't save me, right? But only this piece of information, this, this thing which is revealed in Christ, this will save me. And it is my, having heard it is my responsibility, essentially, to live by it that the just live by this, by putting their faith upon this. Okay, so to understand this phrase, we've got we've to walk through this. We've got to walk through Romans because he spends all of Romans uh, going through, basically breaking down the gospel to clarify all of this uh, stuff. So in Romans 1 through 3, he clarifies for us the just, right? Romans 1 through 3a, I'll say, right? (laughs) Through 3a, because at the end of 3, we'll get to the next part. But Romans 1 through 3a, he clarifies the just by doing more of a clarifying the unjust, right? And we'll see here, look, we'll begin in verse 18, just as some, some highlighted notes here. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Will was reading this this morning, and I was like, I don't have a message to teach. (laughs) Because what may be made known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So that they are without excuse. Paul understands something because of the gospel, right? Because of what God has revealed in Christ, he sees sin is not just what you do, right? As a matter of fact, what we'll see in this chapter is sin has very, is, very, is a very small part about what you do. And in a very large way, it's about what you worship, right? Look at, with me here. He says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they what? They became futile, pointless in their thoughts. They started thinking pointless thoughts, right? And their foolish hearts were darkened. From this, then, so let's, let's take a journey. Here's a progression. God is God. He is worthy of our worship. And if we look upon him, we look upon the world and we see all that he is and all of his glory. It's undeniable. And still, we decide in the face of that, not just to deny his existence, that's one step for sure, to be like, I just deny that you exist. But even those who don't deny his existence, to not glorify him as God is not just saying he doesn't exist. 
It's to not recognize his right and authority as God over your life, to say that he is God and you are not, right? And so he's saying, look, we start here with the fact that you see God clearly and you don't glorify him, you don't value him, you don't recognize who he is, right? And so then, from that spot of not seeing God clearly, or rather choosing not to see God, God gives us up to something. And what does he give us up to? The very first thing, right, is that he gives us up to futile thoughts, right? You see, when we're not grounded upon God as the center, every thought we have apart from that is futile, is pointless, is a wasted thought that isn't true, that isn't based in reality because truth is first found by acknowledging God, right? And so, foolish hearts are darkened, professing to become, be wise, they became fools, Second step, they change who God is. Change who God is from who he's revealed himself to be to who they make him up to be, right? To who they make him up to be. And, and guys, you can see, we're not even at actions yet, right? We're just at our thought life still, right? How many of us have sat around and we think God is one way and God's like, I'm not like that, <laughs> We're like, God's probably mad at me because, you know, I did this bad, horrible thing and I would be mad at myself. And God's like, well, I'm not you. So <laughs> I'm not you. So I, you being upset with yourself and self-condemning and all of these things, that's not what I'm like, you know? We turn him into something he's not. And then he continues, because we don't see him, because we begin thinking unright thoughts, and because we start making up who he is, and we start doing all of those things, when we start making up who he is, he says he gives them up to the uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And then, I'm gonna skip right down here, they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Worship isn't just singing songs. Right? They're not saying, he's not, and it's not just like I carved out a little image in an idol and I put a little, little figurine of, a, of an eagle and I was like, I love this creature. You know? No. Worship always, the very first mention of worship comes in Genesis when Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac. He says, I and the lad are going to go worship, right? but we will return. Um, we'll come back to that story later as Paul references it later. Actually, Paul references a different story. But anyway, it's <laughs> still another good spot of faith. Anyway, um, but uh, that first mention of worship connects it to sacrifice. It's not just saying, it's not just praise, right? It's not just saying God is cool, right? Worship is about what are you making sacrifices for? What are you willing to make sacrifices for? And he's saying here, because we let go of God, we began being willing to make sacrifices the creature rather than the creator. We began valuing that over the creator, right? Making sacrifices for our own flesh. Or in some cases, uh, you know, actually making sacrifices unto, 
onto things like sun gods and things like that. And you know, for anybody who tells you that we've progressed very far in science, um, <coughs> we're still just worshiping the sun. Um, because we, uh, you ask any scientist and they're like, yeah, we just came from uh, stardust, you know? We have a scientific way, a mathematical formulation by how that happened, but essentially it's the same thing. It's just got like a nice fancy mathematical, uh, logical way that we can do it. So it's still just sun worship. But anyway, that's a, I digress. Um, <clears throat> that was my short physics aside. There's another one coming, but that was my first short physics aside for the day. Um, <clears throat> uh, he then took them and, 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 and led them away for this reason. God gave them up to vile passions, Right? And I forgot to mention here, they dishonor their bodies amongst themselves. By not valuing God, we are incapable of valuing each other. Right? The reason we're in the mess that we're in with each other, the reason that we can't get along <laughs> is because we're not focused on God and we have no basis no basis to value each other. Because if we start valuing each other based on just thinking that creation is all that there is rather than a creator, we've seen it. We come up with crazy ideas. And so he says for this reason, he gives them up to vile passions. Listen, if we're going to continue, if we're going to continue to go ahead and ignore the Lord, right? And we're going to go ahead and continue then to in that be given over to just thinking only about the materialistic, the naturalistic, the environment that we're in and thinking of ourselves only. The only thing that's found there is vile passion. The only thing that's found there is vile passion. And the Lord, he gave us up over to that. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, that's verse 28, even as he, he, he shares his knowledge with us and we don't like to retain it, we still just push it away then he gives us over that to do those things that are unfitting, right? You see that the action, the action is so far along in the mental progression, right? And so the reason he does this, Paul, as he continues through this, as he's laying out who the unjust are, is that he's revealing that this is a universal problem, Right? Because in the next chapter, which we won't go through in as much detail, in the next chapter he talks about those who teach the law, that they're just as unjust as those who he just talked about. Right? Why? Because he says, even though you teach the law, you do the same things. And so you might read that and be like, okay, so it's about what I do. No, 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 no. The problem is, is that the people who teach the law and the people who don't know the law are all still under this same progression of sin thinking, right? This idea that all of us together, whether the Lord has spoken to you or not, we sit under this condemnation that we indeed have not glorified God. That we started there and we ended up somewhere way over there at vile passions and things. And by the way, when you think of vile passions <clears throat> and the things that are unfit, Let's not pretend that those are something remarkable because the list is full of uh, pretty uh, simple things. Deceit is in this list. Proud, boasters, 
untrustworthy, unloving, envious, right? Disobedient to parents. These aren't like shocking things in the sense of like, hey, you know, um, you're a murderer, you know? Like, no. He's like, you're disobedient to your parents. You don't glorify God. That's, the, that's what he's saying. He's like, if, you've, if this is the result, if this is what you see in your life, where it started was all the way over here that you didn't glorify God at the very beginning, right? And so if that's the problem, and if it confines all of us to that, then shoot, the just living by faith is really difficult because where do we fall in that, right? Where do we fall in that? And here's what he gives us as hope in the end of chapter 3, because chapter 3 says, therefore by the deeds of the law, will, this is chapter 3, verse 20, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. So if you're looking at, at thinking that what you're going to do is going to make you right with God, that your relationship is going to be okay with him because of what you do, he says very clearly there, it's not going to happen. So we have to divorce ourselves from the thought that what you do makes you right. And what somebody else does makes them wrong, right? Because that's not where justice is going to be found, right? Instead, he says, the law does one thing, for by the law is the knowledge of sin, right? Why did God tell us these things? Like, why would he do that? As Will said, you know, I told you, man, I'm just quoting your message this morning, so it doesn't matter. But <laughs> um, it's in his love that he gives us the warning, right? He didn't give us the law so we could look at it, use it, and say, now I'm righteous before you, God. He gave us the law so we could look at it, see we're not, and turn to him in love, right? Which is so different than what we use the law for today, whether it's God's law or civic law or anything like that, right? I can't get on my Facebook feed. I don't have Twitter, thank God, right? But I can't get on my Facebook feed without seeing the vitriol of people blasting each other for their immorality, right? And I can't stand seeing Christians blast other people for their immorality saying the Christian value is that, you know, you stand against that and you fight that thing, right? The Christian value is faith in Christ for justification of sins, right? It's not we did something right. You know? And so he comes here and he throws this in our face, and we're confronted with, well, then where will I be just? And he says, but now the righteousness of God apart, separate from, not included with, right? From the law, it is revealed. Being witnessed, it was spoken about, it was hinted at. It's not like out of nowhere being witnessed by law and prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, right? Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that 
Sin was a far deeper problem than just that, than just what you do. Therefore, it needed a deeper solution than just do something better, right? I'll say that again. It was a deeper problem than just what you do, so it needs a deeper solution than just do better, right? And the solution is Christ, right? The solution is Christ. And so he comes and he says, look, it's for anyone who believes, because it doesn't matter why, because everyone has sinned. You know, I'm going to go on a little tangent, and I don't really have the time to go on tangents, but I'm going to go on a tangent anyway. Um, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. It's fine. It's fine. I've got to stick with it. Okay, right? So faith in Christ. And he, he comes in chapter 4, and he says something. He's like, it's always been faith in God's Word. And back in that... that when we, were, when we were reading before, he said that the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, right? For in it is revealed the righteousness of God um, for the Jew first and to the Greek. Uh, and he used that word from faith to faith, right? Here's the thing. God has always given us precious promises all the way from the beginning to put our faith in. From one faith to the next is what it means to progress as you progress in those things. But if you look at historically, Adam and Eve, the second they sinned, they had something to put their faith in, didn't they? They had a promise of God. They had a promise of a seed who would crush the snake. They had a promise to put their faith in, right? Abraham, he, Abraham, Paul talks about Abraham and David in chapter four, and he gives us two other historical Old Testament examples where God gave them a promise, and they put their faith in it. And the one thing particularly that they understood was that their righteousness was not dependent upon their action in the sense of the fact that they were sinners and and God was righteous. Because Abraham, he believed God would bless him, and that's it. God gave him a a promise of a son, and Abraham believed him. It says it was accounted to him for righteousness. This is in Romans 4 here. David, he said, and this is what Paul tells us, that blessed is the man to whom God does not impute iniquity. David Without seeing Christ yet, he understood that sacrifice was necessary, that something had to die, right? That's what the law tells him, right? But he knew that that wasn't God's heart for him, right? Look, David knew he was a sinner, but he knew that God didn't want to judge him, right? He had faith about that. This is what's awakened in plain sight for us in Christ, is that, yes, you are a sinner, right? But, but, God does not stand against you in that, right? If you believe upon Christ who is offering you a gift, right, then you can be totally confident that he is for you. And that is not to say that if you don't believe that he's not for you, right? Let me clarify that. That is not to say that he is not for you if you don't believe. There are a couple of places that are quite surprising in the Bible. First John chapter 2 comes to mind. <clears throat> Actually, it's right before chapter 2. It's at the end of chapter 1 
or it might be the beginning of chapter 2. It's right in that, that pocket. But um, where he says that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins, right? Because he's talking about if you sin, that you have an advocate in Jesus Christ the righteous, who is a propitiation for our sins, but not only ours, but also for the whole world, right? Here's the thing. God is always for everybody. Not everybody always wants God to be for them, right? And so what he's saying here, look, if you want, if you want to be just before the Lord, if you want to be in a right relationship with him, it's as simple as receiving and believing this gift that he's given you in Christ. It's as simple as that. That's the gospel in a nutshell. But look, it's not just justification, right? Because what do we start with? The just shall live by faith. It doesn't say the just are justified by faith, although that's true, that's wrapped in that, right? But justification is just one step. There's still a whole life to live. It'd be really terrible if I was forgiven of my sins and then I still had to like live with like out any power over that, right? It'd just be like a really self-defeating kind of thing and I have no assurance of my salvation, really. Um, you know, they call the spirit the seal. Ephesians 1 says the spirit is the seal of our salvation. It's really cool is the seal is that insignia that a, a king gives um, and he makes a stamp on a thing as he goes and he sends it out. And the idea is, is that the seal marks that it belongs to the Lord, right? The, the, you you want to know one of the primary reasons the Lord gives us the, the Spirit? It's so you can be confident that you're His, right? It's so that you can be confident that you're His. Because let me tell you, without the Spirit, I wouldn't be very confident about what Jesus said that I'm forgiven, Right? And this is what Paul is going to lay out for us here. He says, therefore, this is the beginning of chapter 5, therefore, having been justified by faith. So justification clearly comes by faith because it couldn't have come by anything else because sin is far too big of a problem to be solved simply by the law. He says, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, <clears throat> through whom also, so not just justification, but right now, in this very moment, by faith, we also have access into the grace which we stand, right? That Christ's death isn't just a get-out-of-jail-free card, though it is a get-out-of-jail-free card, right? <laughs> right? It's, it's a get-out-of-hell-free card, but... <laughs> um, uh, but that we can't just treat it like that because it's something so much better. It's something so much better than just, I don't have to go to hell, right? Because let me tell you, if the only reason that you're bothered by sin is because of the consequence of sin, then you're not actually bothered by sin, right? And so he's saying, look, those who are bothered by sin, they want a real solution. Christ gives a real solution. He gives a real solution to where you're not just freed from that consequence, but you're freed from that power in your life right now. How? Same way that you were freed from the consequence, by faith. By faith. Right? By believing that Christ has gifts for you, by believing that Christ is going to give you the Spirit to empower you in your inner man, right? that's where all of this comes into play. And he says, by faith, into the, we have access. Through Jesus, we have access. And not only that, right? we also have purpose. We glory in our tribulations here and now. Right? He says, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. Right? And now our hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. God takes 
our past and he redeems it. He takes our present and he redeems it as well. Right? He takes the moments that are right now that could be awful and he gives us two pieces of information here that are really, really helpful for us. One, right? Where is it? Oh, we have access to the God who has all the power in the universe, even the power over death, right? So if you ever feel powerless right now, that's okay. Because <laughs> you aren't powerless because you know the one who has all power, right? But two, even if life is like really hard and you're in trials and tribulation and your faith is being tested and you feel like you're even being persecuted and all of these kinds of things, right? That's still a win situation for us. God even redeemed that situation. Let me tell you, without Christ, that situation's terrible, right? <laughs> without Christ, right, without the hope that Christ has given us, without putting our faith in that, if you don't want to trust that, if you don't want to trust what God has for you in Christ, and you just want to live your life and do your thing, right, then every time that you hit a trial, every time you hit something that doesn't go the way that you want it to go, you've got nothing left, right? That's it. That's it. You're done. But in Christ, he says, you know what? That thing that you can't handle, let's use it. That thing that you thought overcame you, let's use it too. For what purpose? To build your faith. To build your faith. He says that to build your hope. Right? He says, not only that, but we also go in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. James 1 tells us that again, that it, it is it's the same thing. James 1 echoes this when it says, I'll just turn there real quick so I don't misquote it. But he says, my brethren, crown it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, and let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Right? He's producing in us <clears throat> a faith that endures. You know? So, so he, he's redeeming even that part of it. You know? So God's gift, this gospel in which we must stand, in which we must continue to live in, right, it's all-encompassing. It's our justification, it's our sanctification right now in this life, and he tells us that it's our future glorification that he says, much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him, right? We're, we're not... We're not going to be under wrath. At the end, what we've been talking about in Revelation, right, when everybody is being judged, we're not going to be a part of that, right? And furthermore, even better than that, in 1 Peter 1, we're going to, we have an inheritance. We get a new body. First Corinthians 15, we get a new body. First Peter 1, we have an inheritance, right? We get to be with God and see him as he is and be like him, right? That's crazy. That's crazy, that's the gospel, right? This is what we have to put our faith in, not here and now, right now, I'm going to live a happy, comfortable life, right? The call that God has on our life right now is not go and be happy right now. You know, we, I think we get a little bit confused because of the prosperity that we experience in American culture that we think that God's message to us is not to die. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it this way. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to die, right? Christ's call on our life, guys, the way that we have to live here and now is to not live. That's what his call on our life. What do I mean by that? You're like, Justin, should I go like kill myself right now? No, that's not what I'm saying at all, right? I'm not advocating for suicide. <clears throat> Chapter six, seven, and eight will enlighten us exactly what it means Right? Because in chapter 6, the question arises, should we continue in sin? Should we continue in the very things that we were doing before, since Christ justified us and we're all good now, and Christ did that? Should we just like kind of continue in that? Because then, you know, Christ is still being gracious, so might as well, right? Missing the point of what Christ did. Missing the point of what Christ did. Christ came and died for us so that way we would be taken away from sin. This word deliver is to to remove out of, right? He doesn't just want to not penalize you. He wants to not see it in your life, right? The whole point of coming to Christ, what we're agreeing with Christ about is that sin is not worth it is that being apart from God is not worth it, right? I do not value being apart from God. I value the Lord, and I'm going to get to him through Christ, you know? We have to change our value system. He says, so shall we continue in sin? No. And he says this really crazy thing. Um, He says, do you know that those who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Baptism is immersion. Some people are going to get baptized next week. We're going to stick you in water. And hopefully before you drown, we're going to pick you back up. Right? (laughs) Um, But immersion. Right? Those who were immersed into the person of Christ were immersed into his death. Right? What part do we play in this? Because there's been a lot about what Jesus has done, and Jesus does basically every part of this, right? But what part do we play? Even this part, technically, as we're continuing in it, this is still part of what Christ has done, that he's baptized us into his death, right? But we'll see in a second, we must identify with that. We must take what Christ has done and say, this is, this is mine. Christ put himself on a tree. That's for me. Christ died. I too will die with him. Right? I'm not going to do something he didn't do in that sense. I am going to identify fully with the life and death of Christ so that way the resurrection of Christ will also be mine. Right? Guys, if we don't identify with the death, we don't identify with the resurrection. It's what he says very clearly here. He says, we were buried with him through baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. If we have been united together in the likeness of death, certainly we will be in the likeness of his resurrection. Listen, when Jesus was on the cross, it was a sacrifice for him. And he said... He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, right? 
it's a scary thing, right? It's a scary thing to die because you don't know what's on the other side, right? That's the scariest part of death for all of us here, right? Physically speaking, anything that might make you afraid that you don't know what's on the other side of death. You know what, what's revealed in Christ? We do know what's on the other side of death. On the other side of death in Christ is life, right? So come with me to die, is what he says. Come with me to die, and you're going to find life there. And you're going to find life there. And so the call to live, we're going to say, he talks about the rest of Romans 6. He talks about being focused upon the sin nature, right? Continuing in sin is not a part of, 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 of dying with Christ to be raised into life. And so he says then you have to reckon yourself dead to sin, right? You have to basically be like, sin is dead. I don't have to please it anymore. Jim Gallagher tells a story where he talks about his hamster, I feel really bad for his hamster, that was in a little play, uh, one of those little hamster balls. And he had a dog, a large dog, and they're typically not in the same room together. Um, but he was just making some, some donuts and some breakfast and stuff. And his dog comes out towards him. With, everybody has dogs that do bad things, right? Everybody has dogs that they, the dog knows it's done something bad, right? You know? <laughs> Walks out, it's like, I messed up. Please don't be upset at me. And he's like, what have you done? And they, they go, dog leads him to the open door that used to separate where the hamster and the dog would play. And uh, hamster's dead in its, in its little ball. I guess the dog was trying to play with it, but, you know, it's a dog. That's a tiny hamster. doesn't end well. Anyway, point of the story is not to make you feel bad for a hamster, though you probably should feel bad for that, but um, is that after the hamster was gone, uh, Jim didn't have to purchase anything in terms of like hamster food. He didn't have to get another hamster ball. He didn't have to do any of those things. He didn't have to act like the hamster was still alive, right? Look, you got a pet, you have to feed it. If the pet dies, I really hope you don't keep buying pet food. That'd be really weird, <laughs> But you know what else is really weird? Your sin is dead. Why do you keep feeding it, right? Your flesh is dead. Why do you keep feeding it? We don't have to keep feeding our flesh. That's what's been given to us in Christ. You don't have to, right? Before we had to, because it's all that we had, and we were convinced that it was all that we had, but Christ awakened in us something else, that we have life beyond death, and we don't have to keep living like this flesh needs to stay alive, right? We can let the flesh die, and we should let the flesh die, right? And so that's what he calls us to, and so then... Uh, just as a quick aside, in chapter 7, he talks about how the law is powerless, right? That that doesn't mean that we're still striving to be good, right? He didn't do this whole argument from Romans 1 to 6 to then say, hey, so then, you know, keep doing what's good, right? No, because keep striving to do what's good is still a powerless, still a powerless endeavor. Just seeing what's right doesn't make me powerful to do what's right. Right? I can tell you all day, and if you guys are the parents of high schoolers, you know, you can be like, clean your room. It's not clean, right? 
<laughs> telling them to do something doesn't always equate to this happens, right? And we like to take that example. We're like, yeah, man, I wish my kids would clean the room. And the Lord is like, yeah, I wish you would, you know, follow my commands, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> we needed something more powerful. Christ gave us something more powerful. It's by faith. It's by this identification. It's by this identification. Chapter 8, one of my absolutely most favorite chapters in all of the Bible. Why? Because it tells us the culmination of all of this. Right? We've seen that we can't be the just who live by faith, by living by the law, because we're not going to be justified under the law because sin is a bigger problem than that. Right? We've seen that it has to be a faith and that it specifically has to be a faith in Christ, not in faith in our own works or in our own things like that or in our own efforts. And we've seen that faith then means this identification with him, that this trusting of God's word to the point of action, that's, that's what faith means. You actually, let me just go real quick back to Romans uh, 4, and this is another one of my favorite verses here. <clears throat> Uh, Romans 4.17 says, it is written, he's talking about the promise he gave to Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him, believe God. And this is what he, Abraham believed about God, that he gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope, believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to the word spoken. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. He was about 100 years old. The deadness of Sarah. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. But he was strengthened, oh, sorry, strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Listen, guys, how do we live? We live fully convinced that what God has promised in Christ, he is able to perform. That's what you're supposed to do right here, right now. Is that we're supposed to be fully convinced that salvation is not by what we do, but by faith in Christ's work alone. That the life, the true living in him comes through identifying with his death and trusting him to raise us up into life, right? I'm going to close here with um, this last part of chapter 8, just as an overview. He says this, There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh. The word according is really great. It means it's a, it's a positional word, meaning flowing from one spot into like a basin, so or from a, into a valley. So you have the principle and then you have where it flows into. And so he's saying those who do not pattern themselves according to the principles of the flesh, of the idea of the flesh, but rather those according to the spirit. And, and just as a quick, quick thing, what does it mean to be patterned after the spirit? Look at what the spirit tells us in verse 15. This is what it is to be led by the spirit. This is what it is to walk. This is what we have to be convinced of as we live our lives. It says, you didn't receive a spirit of bondage again to fear. Pause. We didn't receive a spirit that says, you're going to die, therefore do this. 
We're not, we're not under fear and bondage in the law anymore. Right? The law just told us that we needed to die. That's it. Right? But that's not, that's not the gospel. The gospel isn't just you need to die. Right? The gospel is this. You receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Guys, if you don't know, if you haven't known, if you're trying to convince yourself of other things, if you're trying to live your life for right now, I beg you, know that you're a child of God. Right? This is exactly what Christ came to show you. That sin separated you from God, sure, but... You're a child of God. So he was never going to, or at least never wanted to, just kill you for that. Just destroy you for that. Right? Look, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were afraid that God was going to judge them because they know God's holy. They've been in his presence. They've walked with him. They're like, oh, shoot, we sinned. We got to hide. Right? But what did they have to fear? Guys, Jesus wants us to know, yeah, you're a sinner, but you're a sinner who God loves. Right? And he wants you to know that because you're his child, you don't have to live like you're not. Which means you don't have to live like this life is all that you've got. Because you know what you've got? You've got everything that Jesus has. You don't need to live life right now like this is all that there is. Like you need to get that high-paying job so that way you can live a comfortable life, get a nice car, do all the things that you want to do before you die because God knows how long you've got on earth or whatever. Right, I got to get every thrill, seek everything, please myself, do it all for myself because I've only got one life to live and who knows what it's going to be like tomorrow. Right? I've got to resist the government because you know the government is evil and they're taking away all my freedoms. You're free in Christ. You have everything in Christ. Ephesians 1 says we have every spiritual blessing. You're a child. Everything that is Christ's is yours. You don't have to be like those who don't know that they're the children of God. Right? We can live different. So, to just live by faith, we have to live in the full confidence, in the full assurance that you are a child of God because of Jesus Christ. Right? You have to walk in that. You have to talk in that. <laughs> you have to do everything within that knowledge, within that understanding. Right? Reject sin because it's not a part of the child of God, right? Reject pleasing yourself. Reject amassing everything to yourself. Reject trying to make yourself look righteous, right? Because you're not righteous except in Christ. Reject being judgmental, right? Because Christ is the judge and he's given us a task, hasn't he? Christ will deal with people later. That is not our call right now. Our call right now is to inform other people that they too could very easily be children of God. Right? Very easily. You know? So let's stay focused. Let's stay on task. 
let's live by faith in this gospel that Paul has so beautifully, read it through yourself. He takes obviously much more time than I just did now to go through that. But, you know, focus in on the gospel. Live your life by it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. We thank you for today, for who you are, for your great love for us. We thank you for the gospel. Lord, that Jesus, that you came, you lived, you died, you rose again, and that through that you have restored and reconciled us to yourself, that all we have to do is receive it, God. Lord, help us to be those who do not only receive it for justification, but receive it for for life now. Lord, that we would walk in it, that we would live our lives patterned according to faith in your revealed word, living and walking in your spirit, identifying with your death that we might find all the life that you have for us on the other side of that, Lord. So we, we praise you, we thank you, we love you. Lord, strengthen our, our weaknesses. Make us more like your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we got a little bit less time than, than, I, than I wanted, um, but what we like to do um, in uh, youth group uh, is we like to talk about what we're studying together because it's uh, good to hash these things out, right? Because I technically didn't give you like too many takeaway, uh, takeaway points. I just told you the gospel, essentially. And I was like, live it out. And you're like, good, Justin, I'm going to do that. <laughs> so what we're going to do is if uh, you could put the discussion question up, I've got some discussion leaders, if you would stand, people who I have... Yes, there you go. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Good, good, good. We're over there. Will, you can stand too. You're, you're the pastor. <laughs> um, uh, uh, we'll form some, some, some groups to talk about this question right here. What does living in faith practically, I should have put the word practically, but pretend it's there, practically look like for your life right now? So let's pray together about that. Let's, let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. And then, you know, you guys can mingle and do what you want. But if you want to gather into, like, small groupings with those around you, discussion leaders will make their way around, and you guys can start talking about that together. Cool.